Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Dr. Nick Thompson. Dr. Thompson is a practicing vet based just outside Bath in the southwest of the UK. He is also the current president of the Raw Feeding Veterinary Society and has been a raw pet food fan for more than 20 years. Nick, thanks so much for coming on for the episode for today. Gary, it's great to see you. Thank you very much. It's, I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. It's nice to be able to spread the word among uh, 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 more people. I, I normally do talks uh, for kind of dog groups up and down the country, um, and they're usually up to about 50 or so people. Uh, recently came back from Munich, where I was doing a, a, a talk at the ESVCN, the European Society for Veterinary and um, Comparative Nutrition. And we had about 300 or so uh, vets, vet nurses and nutritionists. Um, but to be able to talk to thousands of, of, of your fans is really, really great. So thank you for that. No problems. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do today is, is, is uh, get to speak to you as a vet. So last time I got to speak to Rowan Sanderson um, from Bella and Duke, but I'm really fascinated to actually speak to a vet who's on the front lines and, you know, seeing pets and patients and having to communicate this information that you've got with pet owners who are listening today. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to trying to ask some questions that I'm thinking pet owners listening to this right now are going to be thinking, this is what I'd love to ask Nick. So my um my first question for you then is within the veterinary society or just in the in the veterinary world is raw feeding um, an accepted practice am- amongst most vets right now? It's a good question. I haven't any hard figures, but within the raw feeding veterinary society, uh, and just to plug uh, the rfvs.info is the website raw feeding veterinary society. Uh, we have about a hundred and fifteen. Uh, members uh, we've only been going a few years and, and the, the numbers are increasing each month but we have that small number of, of vets now obviously that's not every raw feeding vet in the UK because we're a worldwide thing so that would suggest that actually there aren't there aren't that many who are uh, active in their advocacy of of raw feeding if you had to ask me to guess on numbers in the uk i would say there's probably maybe two three hundred vets who are who are very sympathetic indeed to to raw feeding if not advocating raw food uh, maybe they like the idea but they they haven't got the time to look into it as a new discipline and therefore they, they refer to me or some of my colleagues within the raw feeding veterinary society um so therefore that, that would lead me to say how many people are uh, how many how many vets vet nurses are anti and i think the the the, uh, the number is even smaller than that probably a few dozen are actively anti raw and then everybody else is kind of on a spectrum between those two so gives you an idea that it's not you know uh it's it's still a very new concept within veterinary medicine that there is some uh there is some resistance but uh more and more and more things are improving i can remember maybe 10 years ago being at uh, at vet shows uh where you would actually people would come up and actually give you you know a really hard time to your face uh that does not happen anymore and 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 quite often when you've got a vet show you've got you know you've got the instrument people selling instruments you've got people selling kibble you've got people selling all sorts of veterinary uh pharmaceuticals and paraphernalia to within the profession uh the 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 raw food manufacturers who who are there tend to be pretty well accepted by especially by by the younger members of the uh, profession so i think it's it's an exciting it's a new and exciting area of of uh, of veterinary medicine i'm i'm you know really optimistic for the future Mm. yeah just uh, the reason i'm asking too is because 
I was just thinking, particularly when it comes to pets and animals, we, we kind of think of pets who are more carnivorous that, yeah, they would probably have, you know, from how many years they've always um, had raw food in a way. And I was just mm. thinking it's probably maybe raw food even from an education point of view. I don't know if it's in, in your syllabus, if it's even brought up as a topic. Um, so I was just thinking it may be more accepted in the veterinary world than some other fields, but it sounds like it is. It's a hot topic. It's edgy. It's sort of a, a big discussion thing within amongst vets themselves. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's generally not taught within the syllabus within the within the vet schools. Uh, I I was just hearing that there are some vet schools in uh, in Europe where it's just beginning to be taught. Uh, just came back at the weekend. I was in uh, Helsinki at the University of Helsinki, where they've got a, a very strong uh, uh, research group who are doing. Uh, to work there, there's a there's a wonderful researcher called Anna Heim Bjorkman, and um, she really has put out more raw feeding research than any than all the others put together, basically. And uh, uh, she's I'm, I'm really keen to support her. She's got a lot of data that that is just waiting to be uh, turned into uh, a, a good scientific. Uh, papers so, and she's always in need of money in case any of your any of your uh, followers are wanting to put money into to raw food research because we need it we need the research um, anyway just come back from 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 Helsinki and they've got a very strong uh, um, team there and so they do get they do get some 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 exposure but most vet schools they are still uh, pretty suspicious of raw food unfortunately okay so in your personal case what got you so interested in raw pet food and why you feel so strongly that it's a good choice for pet owners to feed their pets sure okay that's a it's, that's a a good question because it, it, i can i can take you through 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 my my career really i qualified in in 1992 with a veterinary degree and i had also had a degree in pathological sciences from edinburgh university at that stage because i knew that i wanted to have a strong research uh, background behind me and uh i went into practice and 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 i was thinking great look i've got veterinary medicine i i can i can I can cure the world and 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 you know um that naive uh thought that you really have a lot of power in your hands but within within a very short time in practice i found that there were very many cases who were coming to me where i was frustrated with with, with the tools at my disposal, I had antibiotics and steroids and non-steroidals, and and I had kibble at my disposal, and I just I felt frustrated that there were many, there were many, many, many more diseases where you couldn't cure, you couldn't get to the the, the real root of the disease, and you had to just placate the disease process, manage the disease process, and so I started looking at homeopathy at that stage for animals um i i I, i'd always been interested in uh, in it and so uh within within homeopathy there's a there's a strong culture of removing obstacles to cure and um i discovered that oh i i i recognized in practice that that actually nutrition was one of the was it was a massive uh, uh, maintainer of disease. It was an initiator of disease, and it was an obstacle to cure of disease. And so it seems seemed logical to to move from a, a a processed food model, which is the veterinary model. You're either you know the, the, the way you're taught at school and the way you know most veterinary practices within the UK within the states. Um, they are using a tins or uh, uh, kibble. Kibble is the the little biscuit that you know where you've got the meat and protein and the the carbs and the fat all mixed together. Highly, highly, highly processed with multiple uh, 
elements within within it. You know, the average kibble has got 14 or more elements within it. Um, uh, it's made from meat meals. Yeah, it's not even made from from real uh, food. They don't start with, with with real food in many cases, and so it's it's a pretty easy leap to go. Hmm. If if you know if you go to your if you go to your doctor, they're telling you to eat. Well, a very forward thinking doctor, perhaps would be telling you to eat fresh food and to 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 eat appropriately to avoid uh, uh, eating and drinking any uh, toxic elements to be careful to use um, uh, organic where you can um, to eat a balanced diet and eat fresh wherever possible you go to your vet and they say here's a bag of this and here's some tins of this and I think there's just there's a there's major uh, disconnect between those two and yet they're both doing a very very similar job what's the difference they're, you know doctors treat one species called a human being and dog, uh, uh, and, and uh, small animal vets treat dogs and cats uh, human beings dogs and cats are three different that uh, they are in, in three different nutrition groups if you like human, human beings are omnivores um, and we are able to be uh, down at the bottom end uh, as vegetarians and vegans. We're able to manage that. We can be in the middle where eating vegetable and an animal-based uh, diet, or we can move up to the top end. Uh, you were just talking about the carnivore diet within the human sphere where we eat a lot of meat material. Okay, so we, we are flexible. We are flexible eaters. A horse is a non-flexible eater. It's a, it's a herbivore, okay? But dogs are up at the top end of the omnivore scale now the, the i find that the, the the terminology is not really accurate enough to encompass all the dog species that we do that 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 that, that, that exist but within uh the, the domestic dog you can pretty much categorize it at the top end of omnivore or you there some people will well it's often described as a facultative uh, carnivore in that it can be very carnivorous but also can drop down into eating uh, feces from from herbivores poo rabbit poo sheep poo horse poo what have you anybody who's got a dog will totally recognize that 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 side of things um but then dogs will eat berries in the autumn uh as well so uh dogs have, have a greater flexibility on the other hand you have a, a cat who isn't obligate carnivore it is obliged to eat meat okay yeah carnivore meat eater but the problem with with with, with the, that descriptor is carnivore doesn't actually say what it means a, a dog and mainly uh, no a, a cat specifically is not it's it's more of a a mouseivore a rabbitivore a birdivore that would be a more accurate yeah because they eat the whole thing yeah, more or less. They'll eat ears, they'll eat skin, they'll eat lungs, testicles, bones, everything, the lot. Okay, equally, so will a dog. Okay, so when one says carnivore, you're removing an awful lot of that carcass in that uh, in that descriptor, which I think is you know it, it sounds like a technicality, but uh, it, it it opens in a very interesting, a very interesting discussion. Hmm. And yeah, that's, I guess that is the, the key thing here. Like you're saying, it's species specific and even within, yeah. Yeah. And so we, if, with, even within um, our typical pets, like cats and dogs, there's a spectrum involved and dogs can handle a bit more vegetation. Uh, whereas cats, it sounds like they definitely can't. It, well, it's not, it's not really ideal for them. They need to be more on, in that uh, meat range and organ range and bone range and skin range versus yeah. what a, a dog would do with its, um, with its digestive system and its how it can deal with it. Very much so. When I'm talking to clients, I will, I will, I will describe it that carnivores, however you want to describe those, but carnivores, I dogs and cats, carnivores eat herbivores herbivores eat plants plants eat soil and rocks okay that's how that's how it goes 
And the problem, problem with many of the, the supplements, the mineral supplements, is that they are, are uh, essentially kind of, they're, they're, they are simply minerals, calcium carbonate, for example, which, which uh, doesn't go through the, the, the transformative process of being uh, uh, assimilated into a plant and then assimilated into a herbivore and then into the dog. They will just take calcium carbonate as a carbon source, for example, and say, right, there's your, there's your carbon, your, your, your calcium. Yeah, calcium carbonate is a source of calcium, uh, otherwise known as chalk. And so you get bioavailability issues. So for me, the species-appropriate diet is, 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 is ticks so many boxes in that you're providing nutrients in a form that cats and dogs have evolved to, to, to deal with over thousands and hundreds of thousands of years they have evolved into optimal optimally um, uh, processing and and absorbing these nutrients and um, so for me that that you know species appropriate nutrition is mm -hmm. is, is is fundamental and it's just such a it's, it's really easy you know i talk to talk to children about this and they go yeah we should feed um cats and dogs on what they're designed to eat whereas unfortunately if i speak to my profession sometimes they'll say no 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 it has to be a a, a scientifically formulated uh complete and balanced uh formulation and i'm i have a problem with that it sounds interesting because it's exactly what humans are going through in a way you know with the discussion with all the different ways of eating and dietary choices that people have and people argue like what is the optimal way that humans are meant to eat but it sounds it sounds like you get the same within the veterinary world that people may that maybe vets haven't decided like we know this is optimal for cats or this is optimal for dogs because then you know we are talking then that uh, a processed food can come in and say no we fortified this food and we still think this is a, this actually is more optimal than what what we've decided is the best diet for a cat it's just an interesting discussion to have then, I think. like, How is that more optimal than what we've decided is actually what a cat should be eating, for example? Yeah, 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 very much so. I think you're, de you're dealing with an, an artificially created diet that, you know, with 100 years of, 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 of testing for the levels, calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, protein, um, fatty acids and what have you there is they are formulating such that you get the same thing every day okay that's one of the one of the uh one of the uh, the, the holy grails of um tib kibble and tinned feeding is that you have a formulation you feed every day yeah you have an adult maintenance formula here's your food that's it until you reach a senior dog and for a dog that's kind of six to eight years old who defined that i do not know i don't think anybody really does and can can give you good good data on that but uh they um feeding a single unvarying diet every single day is one of the cornerstones of modern veterinary nutrition and i think that uh, 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 most of the cornerstones are are pretty bogus in my opinion but i think i find that one very difficult to understand so not only are we feeding artificial food not only are we feeding high carb food to cats and dogs every single day we are feeding exactly the same formulation every single day and i don't know of an of a human nutritionist who would even begin to go anywhere near that kind of extreme that one has to feed a, a, a single artificial uh, formulated uh, single formulation uniformly over an entire adult uh, life, and yet it's 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 considered completely acceptable from 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 the uh, manufacturers of uh, veterinary veterinary foods. And and within the veterinary world, I'd be interested too. I'm going to use cats as an example because um, you know you you might feed your cats some, let's say, kibble or canned food or something, but then they'll go out and hunt some pigeons. 
and they'll eat the whole thing, as you said, like feathers and all the feathers and feet and beak and everything. Yeah. yeah. And so, is there any concern that vets go, "Oh no, your 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 cat has eaten two pigeons this week"? Like we we're actually concerned for its uh, nutritional health right now. Uh, no, but they will. They'll say that they would. In that scenario, they'll say, "Make sure you've got a you've got a worm on a regular basis," which is fair enough. I don't actually worm my cats and dogs on a regular basis. I will do uh, worm egg counting, like we've been doing for horses for forty years. Okay, why use a pharmaceutical when you can just do a test? And when we do when we do the testing, the the worm testing, we find that month after month, year after year, many of these adult cats and dogs just don't need worming because they don't have any worms and we just keep an eye on it so there's another cornerstone of of of, of uh, you know standard veterinary management that again i think is is needs to be needs to be looked at again um i've forgotten the uh the question oh well i was just asking yeah uh, i was i was kind of wondering is there any concern then like if cats are eating raw food in a way because they're catching their prey like in a in a sense that that cat is eating raw food that's completely unprocessed because they caught it and is there any sort of concern then for that vets might have like oh no this animal this cat is for example eating too many birds not really not really because it's it's pretty standard issue there are there are, you know, eight million cats in the UK, and they, uh, you know, a, a quite a high proportion of those are, are hunting. And they, I don't know, I can't remember the statistics. Something like thirty million wild birds are killed by cats. A proportion of those are going to be eaten, and the the, the, the the casualty rate from cats for those for those birds is pretty low. That's for sure. And what about all the mice? Nobody even knows how many mice are being decimated by by, by cats. Uh, so this this is being uh, this is the, you know this is this is how cats are feeding themselves, and it doesn't seem to be a problem. We don't get cats getting getting uh, uh, nutritional problems, getting blockages or uh, infections. Particularly, it does happen here and here and there, but it's not a very common thing at all. And yet, they're eating very naturally, um, despite the best efforts of the, uh, the, the professional pet owner. Yeah, and, and the pet. Owner. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so just to run through maybe a couple of benefits, then just like a, a, an executive summary. Have you seen anything more specific when it comes to cats and dogs when you convert them onto raw feeding, like it? it a spectrum of just general benefits or something quite advanced that uh, you yeah. think pet owners need to know? In, in, um, in 2014, I did a survey of 79 vets, raw feeding vets from around the world, okay, whose uh, uh, total uh, experience when we added everybody's experience together was over a thousand years between them, okay? And they, and I asked, I just asked um, eight simple questions. One of them was, uh, what proportion of dogs, of healthy dogs, gain a benefit when they're moved from a processed food diet, uh, a, a, a kibble or a tinned-based diet, onto a raw food diet? What was what, what was their uh, estimation? They said about eighty-five percent of dogs, when they when they when they're transitioned over onto the raw food, show objective improvement. Okay, and then asked the next question was, what about Sick dogs, yeah, they've got skin problems, they've got they've got uh, uh, gut problems, diarrhea, um, uh, constipation, uh, anal gland issues, these kind of things, or even just squeaking, or just you know gassy, or you know whatever it might be. And again, eighty-five percent. Uh, uh, the, the estimation was that about eighty-five percent of dogs who are moved show at least some benefit. When they were asked what benefits do 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 these, you know, a thousand years of, of 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 veterinary experience, what are they seeing? They're saying benefits with breath. I'm just going to go from the top of the body down to the bottom. Benefits with with cleaner breath, cleaner teeth, uh, less less burpy, less windy, less gurgling in the stomach, uh, uh, better digestion, less colitis. Uh, better formed stools. It's very, very one of the one of the big <laughs> selling points for raw food is that uh, 
stools that, that, that previously on kibble or tins uh, have been you know difficult to pick up suddenly become torpedoes that you can just pick up easily it sounds trivial gary and people don't do it for themselves generally speaking but it's a big 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 part of of the the raw food revolution because if, 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 if for example if you've had this dog for five you've had your dog for example it brings it to me and you say what can i do uh, the dog is perfectly well but i've just heard about this raw food thing i say this is this is perfect here's the diet this is how you do it uh, go away and see and if you've been kind of scraping the stool of your dog in order to be a good citizen into a bag for the last five years and all of a sudden you're presented with torpedoes you're going to love me to death forever forever simply just from that alone okay no matter that the dog's skin is better there's less itching it's they smell better their energy is better uh they have a a better bloom you know just pretty much pretty much any health parameter i have seen every health parameter i can think of improving on a raw food diet now when raw feed feeders say this uh the the, the manufacturers the, the 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 profession just say oh well that's just anecdotes where's your proof you know how can you how can you prove these things and rightly so it is it is quite difficult because you know how do you measure bloom how do you measure vitality how do you measure energy it's incredibly obvious to the owner um but less so to to uh if you're trying to measure it as a researcher or if you're being trying to be critical it's it's a good way to say oh it's just you know, how can you tell but and the answer, yeah the answer is that you know there are millions of owners out there feeding raw food who have converted and they're all terrified for the first month or two they're terrified they're going to kill their dog and then their dog is happier and enjoy, more enjoying their food. And they say, why didn't we do this years ago? That is the story that I hear every single day. And within the Raw Feeding Veterinary Society, that's what drives the Raw Feeding Veterinary Society. Mm. This, this continual wave of people saying, my dog is, has, is transformed mm. by feeding a species-appropriate diet. Yeah, and you know this whole show is, is it's got the term biohacking in, which is like n equals one experimentation and observational stuff, and that's exactly what it sounds like is happening with pets here. Is we're looking at the pet as an individual and seeing, and pet owners can come back and tell you, wow, like my my pet's coat's different, it smells different, it's now got these torpedoes instead of this messy stuff on the on the sidewalk, which is fantastic yeah. for my life. Mm. Um, yeah, and I like that what you brought up is because again the reason i want to get you on is to sort of ask you questions that pet owners would have and i think you brought up a good one is that most people then have that fear factor to begin with they think oh gosh i think this is good for my pet from what i'm hearing from all these experts out there and all these testimonials but i'm so scared like i'm going to hurt my pet um and it sounds like so the first thing you're saying to them is don't worry it's what the pet's meant to eat especially dogs and cats but then mm -hmm. So what is it that you would be, how, I'm just thinking step one, like what is the first thing that you get the pet owner to do? Do you say, right, pop out to your local grocery store and buy this? Or I don't know, what, how, how, what's the first meal? Okay, uh, it's easy to do because uh, when I started, I started inventing medicine uh, 26 years ago. There, nobody was producing complete raw foods, okay? And then about, I guess, 20 years ago, maybe a bit less 15 years ago they, they started to to there were producers who would who would get meat and vegetables uh, uh minerals vitamins put them all together freeze them and then distribute them throughout the country and now there are an awful lot of these companies who who are doing who are doing this work and so basically it's very easy you go out you go to your local pet store and many many pet stores in the uk and in the states uh, carrying freezers where you can where you can select complete and balanced raw uh, frozen food okay there are two types of raw food that you can buy there is just the meat and that is and that is not a complete meal in my opinion because you need bone and you need vegetable material yeah there's some contention over vegetable material but we'll not go there for now um but then so there are there are uh, the companies who do, do just meat and many of the the uh, 
companies will do complete meals where they, they take a vegetables and, and formulated a diet together. And basically you just go out and you buy some of these, uh, some of this food and you can either go cold turkey. So on Monday you feed kibble and Tuesday and for the rest of their life you feed the uh, raw food or, and this is to a certain extent, more for the owner than for the dog you can just say on the first day we go one quarter raw three quarters kibble and then we go half half on the second day three quarters raw one quarter and then over to full raw over about a four to seven day period cats on the other hand are a different story and they can be very 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 fussy uh a cat it is possible for a cat to just refuse to eat a raw food. It's not, it's not common. What's more common is that they'll just, they'll, they'll take a while to get used to it. And so uh, what can take a dog one to seven days can take a, a, a cat one to seven weeks, one to seven months. Okay, so the trick with cats is to take your time and go step by step by step. If you want the detail, there are two, two ways to, to convert cats. The first way is the is the one percent two percent rule, which is basically you take the kibble and you just add a very small amount of the new food and you gradually move up as the cat is 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 able to get used to more and more. That's the obvious way of doing it. The, the other way of doing it is the two bowl method, where you just get a, a couple of chunks or a little bit of the new food and you put it next to the kibble for a number of weeks. So that the cat gets used to the, the the smell and the look of the new food because cats are very habituated to want any and whatever they're used to. Okay, but if they 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 then uh, see the new food as not being so new because they've been staring at it for the last two weeks, you can then start to do the 1%, 2% method. So you've got the, the straight in with the 1%, 2% and increasing method, or you can go in with the two bowl method. And so if in doubt, if you've got a really fussy cat, then two bowl method is usually a good way to go for cats. And, with and the, take, your time, take your time. Yeah, those are great tips for, for pet owners who are listening here when they're like, is the practicality of things going, okay, here's the theory, but how do I actually put this in practice? And I love those practical tips that you're giving there. Mm. And, and so it's, um. I'm just thinking, so when I'm, I, I've never bought it, so, but if you actually, so you're buying this frozen pet food, do you slice it when it's raw or do you have to wait for it to sort of thaw? Like, how does that work? Great question. Uh, uh, different producers produce uh, different, uh, different formats uh, of, of raw food. There's one producer that does uh, nuggets. Yeah, you buy a bag, it's got about 55 nuggets in it. You just go plink, plink, thaw them out, takes a couple of hours. And then you feed. Okay, it's a great system because you can, you can be very accurate with, with with how you feed. Other manufacturers produce uh, kind of little kind of three hundred gram, uh, either a punnet or just a frozen block. Uh, other producers will produce a uh, a free flow mince. You just pour out the the the, the amount of uh, food that you need, uh, and then and then you feed that. Uh, there's uh, there's a UK producer which is producing kind of the the uh, the raw food is within a, a sausage skin, and you just take the take the uh, sausage out, defrost, and feed. So you don't actually need to touch the raw meat because uh, many of my many of my clients are vegetarian and vegan. Okay, because they're very conscious of this species appropriate diet. Okay, so ironically, they're feeding their dog real meat. Okay, so sometimes that's a good option where you get the you get the uh, this uh, sausage, but to reassure your your your, your people, uh, you unless you want to, in which case <laughs> go ahead. You don't actually need to touch with the modern packaging methods, the modern modern presentation methods. You don't actually need to touch the meat, okay? Because that's a concern for some people. Whenever you touch any packaging or any meat, you will always wash with 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 warm water and soap. It's really really important. It's, I mean, it's, it's just it's it's a stunningly obvious thing to say, but and. And frankly, you should do it whenever you touch kibble, okay? Because if you look at all the all the recalls in the states, many of them are for kibble, yeah, salmonella and, and listeria and what have you within kibble, yeah. If you ask people who feed kibble, no, nobody washes their hands after feeding kibble, okay? I think you should. 
Um, yes, yeah, it's a, a food-based product. It's just good basic hygiene. Absolutely, absolutely. And with raw food, you definitely do do it, but you kind of tend to want to do it just because you know raw meat. Oh. <laughs> okay, it's great and, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And so we've talked about you. Um, there's different options when you come to buying it. Do you? Is it possible for pet owners to make their own raw pet food? It is, yes. However, just as you went to primary school before you went to secondary school, I would suggest get somebody else to do the diet for you to start with for the first few months. Cut your teeth, find your feet with allowing somebody else, a company, to do the, to do the hard work for you, okay, until you get used to it. And then once you've once you've got used to it, the dog has got used to it. The microbiome has 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 uh, uh, re-equilibrated to this new diet because you get a, you get a narrowing and a specialising of the microbiome as you'd expect to this much more specialist uh, uh, regime. And um, you, um, that yeah that's 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 how you, how you yeah you can it. you can work it out from there and then get appropriate advice yeah you, yeah yeah you would you would uh uh you there are there are a lot of books um karen becker has written a great book uh ian billinghurst has, has wrote the kind of the original bones and raw food uh there are other books by kimothy schultz k with a ky kimothy schultz another one by um uh let's have a look claire middle um so there are a lot of books out there you know you just need to put raw food into amazon and you'll be able to find a lot of books do your reading if you're going to go diy just as you wouldn't fix your car yourself unless you actually knew what you were doing uh so equally educate yourself to know that what you can do, what you can't do, what are the parameters involved such that you can do it yourself. And then go ahead, yeah, yeah, okay. uh, formulate it together. Or go and see, you know, a local uh, raw feeding vet uh, or, or non-knowledgeable uh, local person. And do hooves and hives and some of these other chews, are they considered raw food themselves or not? Uh, I think if it's, if, if it's been processed, it's not really a raw Food. Yeah, that is to say, if 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 anything's been added to it, I I would, or if it's been heat treated, it's not. I wouldn't consider it to be raw. So these chew, so these chews that you when you get them at the pet store, they're like um, I'm just thinking you do get like hooves and hides hides and that to to allow the dog to chew on or the cat. Um, they're not considered a part of the raw pet food. I would only go for those chews if they had simply been dehydrated at low temperature. Okay. Yeah. And if you if, if you can't work out how they were produced, forget it. Okay. So there's great, you know, it's big business these days. You can get some really nice uh, uh, fish skin uh, chews. You can get fish little little sprats, you know, the size of my little finger. They're amazing. And and basically they've just been dried. Yeah? So all that goodness, all that uh, uh, unadulterated nutrition is there for you, as opposed to using. Treats. I'm not going to mention any brand names, but you, you just, you know, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. These treats. So, if you've got a box of biscuit tea treats at home, just do yourself a favour. Open the window, grab the box, throw the throw the treat out the window. Okay, it is rubbish. You know, you wouldn't feed, you wouldn't eat this processed stuff just as a, oh, have it as a treat. It's not a treat. It's death food, I think. Um, Use real treats. Dehydrated treats is the way to go. And you can, you know, within reason, you can treat all you like. I'm not against treats. I'm just against hyper-processed, high-carb, additive-laden diets, as many people are. Yeah, that's why I was just asking more about these hides and hooves and things, these chews, because I, I, I did think, are they more like your your treats for your uh, for your pets because they get to chew on it, bury it, and play with it, and yeah, that's uh, that's a treat yeah. for them. Yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, um, it it is totally a treat, but yeah. if it's if it's seen if it's seen any additives, if it's seen any heat, don't touch it. Okay, if that's, it's just dehydrated, great. Go okay. That's a that's a great tip for for pet owners listening. When they speak to the the pet food shop, they can ask, "Is this a dehydrated form of it or not?" So yeah, 
Okay. And then when you were talking about um, the species, I'd be interested, have you found any difference between small dogs, big dogs, um, certain kinds of cats um, when it comes to this way of eating too for the animals? Small dogs, big dogs? Um, not really. Because, you know, they're, they're, they're come, they all come from a similar genetic background. They've just been bred to be tiny, like a chihuahua or enormous, like a St. Bernard. St. Bernard for our American friends. Uh, but they're all from the same gene pool. They've got the similar dental uh, structure. They've got similar um, lack of amylase in the, uh, in the saliva, which is a big clue not to feed high-carb foods. Um, they've got similar pancreatic enzyme uh, profiles, similar short gut length which is typical of a, of a, of a carnivore. Um, so really size doesn't make an awful lot of difference in terms of uh, nutrient profile. The only difference would be uh, with, a, uh, with a small dog, you're not going to give a great big dinosaur bone like this you're, because just not going to be able to get their, head, their, 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 uh, their, their teeth around it. So for the smaller dog, you're going to be thinking chicken wings, uh, Turkey wings, turkey necks, turkey uh, duck necks, and what have you. Smaller, smaller bones, maybe uh, lamb rib, something like this. Yeah, simply because Chihuahua mouth is like this. Uh, whereas for the St. Bernard, you've got St. Bernard mouth is like this, and so pretty much you can give any size bone. You can give small bony, chewy material to to those guys because it can just go straight down. You know they. Some St. Bernard's I know don't even swallow. They'll it'll just go straight in. And also Pyrenees, Pyrenees, Danes, and what have you. Um, it just goes straight down. With 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 the medium-sized dogs, classically a staffy, they're the ones you just have to be a little bit careful of feeding bony material. And I would always try and feed something really pretty big. Okay, when I'm introducing uh, bony material to a dog for that initial period when they've just transferred over from kibble for the first month or so, I will not feed any bony material. Yeah, they'll be getting all the bone from uh, 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 ground bone within the mince. Yeah, the producer will have ground bone and mince together. So they'll be getting a bone, but they're not getting anything to clean their teeth. Um, I will then bring them on to eating uh, 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 Turkey carcasses, chicken carcasses, the softer uh, bony material. They'll they'll then graduate to um, vertebrae, uh, to to ribs, to sternum, uh, things like this of lamb or beef or venison. And then only when that I would consider them a veteran when they've been eating raw food and they've 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 kind of graduated through the these the, the, the smaller softer bones to the uh, slightly larger, slightly harder bones. Only at that stage would I consider giving them uh, leg bones, which are, tend to be quite big and quite brittle. Uh, only so, only when they've cut their teeth, literally on the on the on the simpler chews, would I go to marrow bones. Whereas what happens is is the common perception is that oh my dog needs a bone, let's go and get a marrow bone from the butcher or from the pet shop. And I would suggest that's not a great idea because they're they're very brittle. Okay. And one of the things that one one has to say when, when it comes to bony material is that it has to be raw. Never, ever, ever, ever. There are very few cut, you know, black and white rules within raw food, but one of them is don't feed raw bone, don't feed cooked bones to your dog or your cat because they become very brittle and they can splinter and, and either cause penetrating uh, injury uh, or can, can uh, because they're, they're less digestible, they can, they can uh, cause blockages within the gut. That makes it's much, much better. I love that because, much you know. Raw. That's what I'm saying. Raw. raw is the way. Always raw, never, never cooked. Yeah, it's interesting because I've never actually thought about that because, you know, you, you're always taught um, or always told Okay, if you've cooked chicken for yourselves for dinner and don't give the bones to the cat because it's going to choke on it. Yet, the, yeah. yet what I mentioned earlier where the cat has gone and caught the pigeon and eaten everything, it's kind of like, why did the bones of the pigeon get stuck in the cat, but the cooked chicken bones will get stuck in the cat? And you've just explained it. 
There you go. There you go. And ah. all this stuff is really, really straightforward. Uh, but you just have to kind of just think about it because very subtly, we have been uh, we have been brainwashed by the food manufacturers and through just things that you hear as a kid and uh, these messages that come through. One has to sort the the the. Uh, the, the 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 truth from the myth, if you like, and so uh, and, and that's to a certain extent that's that's why this journey is a very exciting one because you you just um, I find that every day I'm learning new things about how dogs and cats eat how how you know you just different perceptions of of nutrition it's fantastic it's it, you know it's it's just it's a whole new world and it, a it's easy and b the advantages are really easy to see even within two weeks that has been the driving force behind the raw food revolution yeah if if it took a year to see actually actually any improvement with a raw food diet people would just you know they said, I'll oh, we'll just go back to the kibble. Why not? But it doesn't. It takes probably about two weeks, uh, sometimes even just three days. I've had dogs come to see me who've, who've not had a decent stool for their entire life. Three days later, I have owner on the phone in tears saying, Charlie's just had a perfect poo. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes my day. Seriously. Just it's it's absolutely glorious because you know you've just revolutionized that dog's life and that owner's life and you can see it there in front of you. You don't need biochemical tests, you don't need to to to, to analyze the microbiome. It's there. That's I love that. Um just a couple of last questions then too. Um, I, I when I was trying to do my research just to see what, what some other things people would be asking was I guess the difference between a house pet and maybe a pet that gets to be outdoors a lot. I guess some people I think are asking, is it okay to, uh, to feed a, 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 cat, a cat who only lives in a house or a dog who lives up in an apartment, you know, um, in a high rise raw food? Uh, I, I haven't got a problem at all. I raised uh, two children with uh, a dog and a cat, both who ate uh, raw food. Different people have different, uh, uh, aversion or to to having you know uh, bones in the house. I haven't got a problem. You know, we've got a, we've got a, a a kind of a stone floor in the kitchen that can just be be uh, be, be cleaned every day. It's not a problem. Uh, the cat will chew uh, chicken wings on the floor in the utility room out the back, and we just just clean it and 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 off we go. Um, uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but you know what? I think once people see those improvements, Gary, they're going to go, this is a very small price to pay. You know, obviously you're not going to drag in a carcass. You know, you're not going to drag in a roadkill and stick, stick it on your best carpet in your Kensington apartment and let the dog and cat demolish it. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. But, Within reason, it's more than easy for you know just ordinary people to, in a very hygienic way, feed raw food realistically in a in a kind of species appropriate delivery, i.e., things to chew. It's 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 easy to do, easy so, to do. And if I think if you're inquiring about about how can I best feed myself, I think it behoves you to at least look into. The whole raw food thing that's for sure that yeah great sure. so it, i guess the, the the sort of the gist there is for any pet owners who live in these apartments the the, the growing raw isn't more messy and it's not more smelly in a way it, for their it's, apartment it's probably more messy uh because if you've got a dog who's who's got on on the formica in the kitchen there's going to be you know there might be something on the, there but there are ways around it you know you could put it in a like a, in a low card uh, a plastic box and just say and you teach the dog that's where you eat your bone off you go i guess most people don't but that's a possibility you can always just wipe up after the dog uh and with the cat you just say right cat has 
um, turkey necks in the kitchen. That's it. And cat pretty rapidly learns they don't get a hard time if they eat in the kitchen. They get a very hard time if they get out of the kitchen with this <laughs> turkey neck <laughs> dribbling from the from their mouth. You know, it's it's families work together. Uh, you know, that's how that's how that's how the that's how it is. it's give and take. It's give and take, and you know, the dog and the cat—they're part of the family, so it's give and take on their part as well. Well, Nick, I just want to say thank you so much for all your practical tips today. Um, I'm loving that. Um, and I'm hoping everyone who's listening to this, who's you know either considering moving their pet onto raw pet food or is currently trying to do it, and they've got some of these questions, I'm sure they're loving these tips that you're sharing today. Um, yeah, I, I think you've answered so many great questions just to, just to highlight to someone why they would want to do it and practically how they do it. And that's, that's it's taking theory into practice again, which I love. So um, this is the time when I usually ask, are there any um, particular ways online that people can either keep in contact with you personally or um, any recommendations that you would like to suggest to people to follow at this point? Thank you, Gary. Okay, so uh, my website is holisticvet.co.uk, H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C-V-E-T.co.uk, holisticvet.co.uk. You can find all the information there and there are articles and and, and lots of stuff about vaccination and, and many 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 things so please help yourself um uh the raw feeding veterinary society is rfbs.info and so there are articles there if you're a vet or a vet nurse or a vet tech then please come and join us this is a wonderful journey and we would love to have you along we're having a, a conference an international conference in manchester in the uk on the 10th of november and so if any of the, any vet professionals or uh, any, um, any, any dog professionals, uh, breeders, uh, trainers, uh, if you'd like to come along and join the conversation, then we're having a, a, a conference. It's uh, easy to get to uh, and it's inexpensive. Uh, so we'd really, really love to see you there. Uh, Gary, you're very welcome. You're in the Isle of Man. So yeah, come fly over, come and see us and uh, come and join the conversation please uh you're very welcome um recommendations i've given you a book list there are book lists on the website as well uh on my amazon pages you, if you find me nick thompson uh is me uh you, there are book lists as well but yeah email me nick thompson at holisticvet.co.uk email me and um always always really really happy to talk about food which yeah. is what I do. We talk about food all day. What a great job. What a great job. Well, Nick, I'm sure there might be some listeners here who are, you know, either going all the way from Australia to, you know, Scandinavia to North America somewhere. And if they've got a couple of questions or they want to consult, they, they can contact you through those points. So, And I'll link all of that in the show notes for, for listeners. So again, just thank you so much for your time, for sharing all your knowledge and your practical tips. Um, yeah, it's been very useful. Anytime, Gary, I'd love to come and talk to you again if you want.